This is an ABC podcast. This is the Philosopher's Zone on RN. I'm David Rutledge. Welcome to the program and part five of Philosophy in a Nutshell, where each week we're taking a close look at a short saying or philosophical fragment and seeing what we can pull out of it. This week, Ubuntu, which is a key theme in Southern African philosophy. The word Ubuntu dates back to around the mid-19th century, but it became popularised in the 20th century as part of the transition from white minority to black majority rule in Zimbabwe and South Africa. Ubuntu embraces such concepts as humanity, virtue, kindness and so on, but at its centre is the notion that human nature is intersubjective. An individual only exists as such by virtue of his or her connection to others, And that means other human beings, but also other species and the broader environment. Human identity and human agency are fundamentally collective. And this is all bundled up in the well-known Ubuntu saying, I am because we are. So Ubuntu is an ethics and an epistemology, but it'd be a mistake to see it as something abstract or purely philosophical. Ubuntu was an animating force behind the Truth and Reconciliation Commission in post-apartheid South Africa, and also in the reconstruction of Rwandan society in the wake of the 1994 genocide. Well, my guest today to talk about all this is James Ogude. He's a professor of African literature and cultural studies at the University of Pretoria in South Africa, and he's an author and scholar specialising in Ubuntu. If we can talk about European ways of knowing, then it should be possible for us to talk about ways of knowing of other societies, uh, whether these be African, uh, so-called Oriental societies. And, And I think what that basically means is that every society and community always asks difficult questions about the human condition. They always ask difficult questions about the meaning of life the nature of reality and the totality of the environment and the universe in general. So Africans are no exception to some of these. But the danger, of course, is whenever we talk about specific ways of knowing that are tied to communities, we tend to think that they are self-contained. My position is that, yes, indeed, there are African ways of knowing, But African ways of knowing are not self-contained. By that, I mean that Africa has always had its elsewhere. In other words, Africa, even before colonialism, engaged with other communities. We know, for example, the extended trade, you know, that took place in the Indian Ocean. There's a lot of work that is now being done in the Indian Ocean uh, area that reveals a deep relationship that predates colonialism between Africa and the Persians, for example, between Africa and India, uh, between Africa and other parts. But even within Africa itself, there's always been the trafficking of of ideas, trafficking of goods, you know, to use the famous phrase of Edward Said, you always have the stay at home and the traveler. You know, the traveler that goes out brings new ideas and these new ideas enter into dialogue with local laws, local values of the people. And that way, 
I want to suggest that even African ways of knowing do change. And there is indeed what one would describe loosely as African philosophy to the extent that we understand philosophy originally was really just about, you know, asking questions, you know, about, about your being, about your surroundings, you know. So, yes, there are African ways of knowing, but they are not self-contained. Well, let's bring Ubuntu into this context. I, I'd like to begin just with a, a definition, if you like. How, what, what would you say this word Ubuntu, Ubuntu means? How would you define it? And in what ways does it make sense to call Ubuntu a philosophy? And, and perhaps in what ways does it not make sense to call Ubuntu a philosophy? Put very simply, Ubuntu is um, a South African Guni word, which means I am because you are. And it is premised on the idea that the full development of personhood and the emphasis is on personhood comes with shared identity and the idea that individuals' humanity is fostered in a network of relationships. Put it differently, there's a sense in which it articulates the pre-metaphysical social genesis of the individual. And that is the fact that any individual's self-actualization depends on others. We are trying to suggest here that agency does not only reside in individualistic, self-determining and autonomous bodies as we see it in the West, but more importantly, agency is also relationally constituted. So personhood, in the sense of Ubuntu, is therefore attained through a complex exchange and engagement as people interact and communicate. And that's very central, as people interact and communicate with those around them and with the totality of their environment. How comfortable are you, though, with calling it a philosophy? Because I think there's a sense in which philosophy, just the word philosophy carries some baggage. And, you know, there's a claim you offer encounter in post-colonial discourse that professional academic philosophy is fundamentally a European project. It's rooted in colonialism and that to try to shape African traditions of thought into Western philosophical categories is, is just another form of colonialism. Is that something that, well, first of all, is is that something that you agree with? And how do you feel about Ubuntu being framed as a philosophical discourse in that European intellectual tradition? Um, Yes and no. Yes and no in the sense that, you know, knowledge as we know it, uh, rather than, let me put it this way, the compartmentalization of knowledge as we know it within the academy is a very recent thing or professionalization of knowledge as we know it within the academy is a very recent thing. Knowledge in general was always seen as whole. And there was hardly any difference between so-called philosophical reflection and theological reflection or religious reflection. There was hardly any difference between what one would call as medical practice, whether that medical practice is you know, embedded in indigenous knowledge systems or scientific, you know, there was always a link between that and the totality of our experience. So, so that what 
humanities has learned to do over the years is basically to professionalize and compartmentalize knowledge. So to the extent that there's an element and emphasis on the principle of co-agency in Ubuntu, it is an epistemic system. It's a way of knowing, of understanding our relationship with our world and the species are you know, out there. But it's also an ethical principle in many ways, to the extent that it allows us, it helps us to understand how we can relate with one another. So it provides us also with a moral, a moral critique of social exclusion, for example. It provides us with a moral critique in which Ubuntu entails the recognition of equality of all people, even if it is an aspirational form. So there's a way in which I think all Western knowledge, knowledge systems obviously come with a baggage. Whether you think of history, when we started studying history, history always was about European history and how that European history affected the rest of the world. When you thought about Western anthropology, is one single subject that really uh, shaped our understanding. Notions of, of tribe and all these customs are deeply embedded in the way in which Western anthropology looked at other societies outside the West. So there is a baggage, and, and the postcolonial critique of this baggage is useful, and it is only useful to the extent that it allows us to question universal authority of Western forms of knowledges and insisting that in fact, you know, for any society to move forward, we need, you know, to encourage plurality of knowledges and understanding of knowledges, even those knowledges that have been subjugated or knowledges that have been repressed, you know, either by design, political design, for example, in the, you know, when colonial education privileged certain forms of knowledges and denigrated you know, other forms of, of, of knowledge. So to that extent, the critique of the post-colonial discourse is, is useful, but it has to register the awareness that there are other knowledges out there. You're listening to The Philosopher's Zone on RN. I'm David Rutledge, and this week I'm speaking with James Ogude, a scholar at the University of Pretoria in South Africa. We're talking about the philosophy of Ubuntu, which has played an important role in the emergence of Africa from colonial rule and continues to shape African society in the 21st century. I'd like to turn to this this phrase, this this aphorism, I am because we are, that you, you mentioned earlier. Who is we? Who is we in that formulation? Do, does we refer to other people in my family? Does it refer to my tribe, my nation? Does it refer to everyone in the world? The basic thing that um, Ubuntu expresses, it basically emphasizes a certain pre-metaphysical understanding of the human society which basically argues that for any human being to foster, it has to relate to the other. It doesn't matter who that the other is. 
I know that there are certain people who have accused, who have argued that Ubuntu philosophy in certain ways is inward looking and it is very much kinship oriented. That may be true to an extent, but ultimately Ubuntu speaks to our ability to communicate with others, to engage with others, and that our personhood is enriched through that process of interaction and engagement. And so it's not always true, as for example, in the case of South Africa, when the Ubuntu project was introduced, that it worked against, for example, the white minority in South Africa. To the contrary, it actually fostered a relationship the recognition of the other, that in fact, we are all human beings. And that's why the Archbishop Desmond Tutu went for it. He went for it precisely because he found a certain affinity between Ubuntu and Christian philosophy, specifically the De Imago theology. The De Imago theology which says we are all made in the image of God, regardless of your color, regardless of your race, regardless of your um, ethnic community or tribe, whichever way you want to put it, or regardless of our gender. And that's what the Archbishop Tutu, you know, um, used quite effectively in trying to bring about reconciliation to help people to register the awareness that fundamentally we are human beings and it is our humanness that we need a philosophy that will place emphasis on our humanness rather than our differences as people. I guess, though, I'm thinking of the the politics around Ubuntu, maybe the geopolitics, if you like, because, of course, we, we talk about post-colonial Africa, but the shadow of colonialism, the, the various legacies of colonialism are still very evident in, in African societies. And it's interesting to see how Ubuntu became prominent in nations like South Africa and Zimbabwe as they as they transitioned from white minority rule to black majority rule. How important is it, do you think, for Ubuntu to express a strongly African identification in spite of what you've been saying about its its universalism? Is there also a sense in which, you know, th- this is a time where Africa is modernizing so quickly, the, the, the influence of, of the West is becoming stronger and stronger? Are there voices that would say that Ubuntu needs to remain uh, a, a sort of an African identity marker, if you like? Yeah, correct. You know, really, you know, one of the biggest values of, of Ubuntu was basically to to use it as a way of mediating the post-colonial moment. And as you rightly say, you know, and I would be the last to disagree, there's a way in which there has been a lot of um, changes, you know, within Africa itself as a result of um, our post-colonial experience. Uh, I would be the last to argue that we do not have elements of individualism, Western forms of individualism, you know, that are opposed to uh, the fundamental ethos of, of, of Ubuntu. So in the book that we uh, that is titled Ubuntu and the Reconstitution of Community, one of the arguments we make there is that Ubuntu is one such value system that is always 
mobilized by the society during a moment of crisis, during a moment of change, when you are groping for new ways of organizing and ordering the society. How do you do it? And Ubuntu became extremely useful in that sense because it helped in certain ways to humanize what was otherwise seen as inhumane practices, you know, inhumane practices that are both embedded in the so-called traditional societies, but also inhumane practices that came with colonialism. Whether you are thinking about apartheid as a structure of discrimination based on race, how do you grapple with that? How do you bring about change? And the argument is that, you know, there's a way in which Ubuntu can help in mobilizing people during these moments of crisis. That happened a lot during the, the Truth and um, Reconciliation Commission in South Africa. It also happened a lot in Rwanda, you know, the post-Rwanda genocide. They were asking very difficult questions. How do we, as a society, move forward? Uh, do you move forward by relying entirely on modern forms of justice? Or are there other forms of uh, redress that can be mobilized in order to deal with a traumatized past? Because, you know, the difference between, you know, uh, the victim and the perpetrator in Rwanda was very minimal, you know. The lines were blurred, you know. If you are a child who has been forced to kill a mother, are you a victim? Are you a perpetrator? So those are very difficult questions that, you know, philosophy such as Ubuntu help in the post-conflict situations, such as uh, the one that we, you know, we had in South Africa. I'm interested when you talk about mobilizing Ubuntu, I'm interested in how that takes place because I guess it's it's easy to see Ubuntu in terms of uh, an ethic, uh, an attitude, if you like. But when it comes to just the hard work of establishing and running something like a Truth and Reconciliation Commission, does Ubuntu work as a, a sort of an ethic behind that process or does it translate into certain legal mechanisms, for example? Look, it, it, it may not translate into, you know, um, legal mechanisms that can be used. What it does is it offers an ethic for reconciliation, for example. Uh, the idea that the Western system of uh, retribution, uh, which always comes with, with, with justice and punishment, you know, retribution and punishment, crime and punishment, you know, does not always work. You know, and that in a context such as South Africa, where in fact the system was so overwhelming, you know, um, that some people just found themselves as conduits within the larger system. You know, how do you help them to come to terms with their crimes and to take responsibility for them and also to begin to see the others, you know, as human beings? Because the values within moral values and ethical values within the society had been eroded so much so that people lost their humanity. So the purpose of Ubuntu during the Truth and Reconciliation Program was to help us to retrieve, recover our humanity, you know, as people, and not just as Africans, but as human beings, you know. So 
there is a sense in which there was understanding that the Western justice system is good, but it has its limits. It cannot help a society to move forward. Can you imagine a situation where uh, in South Africa, it was, you know, uh, the commission decided that everybody that was involved during apartheid system has to be punished and jailed and, you know, it doesn't bring the healing, you know? It may punish the perpetrators, but it doesn't bring the healing. It basically breeds, you know, fear. It breeds hate. And it also, in fact, works through uh, revenge rather than bringing about reconciliation that South Africa was desiring. The other thing which we have, we have looked at is that it is important to, to see Ubuntu as being part of the everyday practice. A kind of uh, what other people would call, or Eredu would call, folk philosophy, you know, but folk philosophy that has been complicated in a range of ways and transformed in ways that would allow it to speak to the moment, to the current situation. So it is still, in many ways, embedded in the everyday, everyday practices of a number of people. I know that there are critics of Ubuntu, or, or skeptics, if you like, who say that Ubuntu is a good fit for traditional, small-scale African culture, but that as Africa modernizes and industrializes, Ubuntu is a little out of step with concepts like individual freedom, for example, and competition, market competition, very important. Right? Well, what's, what's your answer to that? Yeah, you know, but that also, you know, it, it, uh, David, it goes back to our understanding of um, the tension between uh, communitarian ethos and, and individualism. And my own starting point is that there are no societies that are absolutely communitarian. You know, those who criticize Ubuntu for being out of step often imagine that, you know, in African societies, individuality was erased altogether and any forms of egalitarian practice were never you know acknowledged that's not true we argue for example that ubuntu uh, is embedded in an african system which calls for consensus building you can argue you can differ but at the end of the day you reach a consensus and that consensus has to be seen to be in the interest of the broader society. That's what really, really matters. It doesn't mean that, you know, people have to submerge their own individualities, that people have to submerge their own forms of reasoning. It doesn't mean that people don't compete. You know, there's a, a fairly pedestrian understanding of Ubuntu and communitarian ethos, which simply thinks that in communitarian societies, people don't differ. People don't compete. Competition is there. So it is a balance. It is a balance between moderate communitarianism and, and autonomy of individuals as, 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 as subjects. Yeah. I guess that one very clear example of Ubuntu going hand in hand with modernization is where we see African nations undergoing this very rapid demographic shift where more and more people are moving from rural areas to the cities. 
And the first thing that people need when they move to the city is to engage immediately with a network of other people for whom that ethical imperative of interpersonal connection is paramount. It's, it's the only way you're going to survive. Is that something that you see as a particularly significant example of Ubuntu in practice? Yeah, I'm glad that you make that point. You know, uh, Fabian, you know, the anthropologist, has done very fascinating work on African urbanities and the way that it fostered networks of support among Africans that migrated from the rural areas to urban cities. One often uh, presents African cities as jungles of survival and or any city for that matter, you know, uh, if, if, we, if we look back to the works of people like Dickens, for example, uh, I think the one Western writer that has done so much on, uh, wrote so much on, on, on urban life. But if you look at urban life in East Africa and the rest of the continent, and even in South Africa here, the first things that most migrants do is to reach out and to build networks of support that will help them. And these networks have been both economic and social. Economic in the sense that when you are in a context where the modern monetary systems, you know, seek collateral in order, for example, to give you money, you have to build parallel forms of um, financial survival. And this has been extremely successful in a number of African societies where you find, you know, workers coming together, they pool their resources together. And if you have, you're faced uh, with a crisis, whether it is death of a relative or one in the family, they come together and pool resources in order to support you. They became forms of lending, you know, mechanisms. The mushrooming of uh, so-called cooperative societies within the urban spaces in Africa has been phenomenal. And in fact, a number of governments, you know, have used that to encourage the development of these, you know, uh, cooperative societies, which have one leg in modernist enterprise and another, another leg in communal networks of support. So, the, the urban space has been a very messy space, a messy space that is both cosmopolitan and at the same time very communal in terms of some of the ethos that, you know, underline especially the marginal groups uh, within, within Africa. And the support system has always been hacking back to those value systems that were left behind uh, in the rural spaces. James Ogude, Professor of African Literature and Cultural Studies at the University of Pretoria in South Africa and the author and co-editor of three excellent books on Ubuntu and we'll put publication details of those on the Philosopher's Zone website. And this has been part five of Philosophy in a Nutshell, looking at famous short philosophical sayings. Next week, the final episode in the series and a conversation about Simone de Beauvoir, who wrote that one is not born, but rather becomes a woman. She wrote that in the late 1940s, but more than 70 years later, it's still a highly contested statement. So I'm really looking forward to that one, and I hope you can join me next week in the Philosopher's Zone. I'm David Rutledge. You can find me on Twitter at David P. Zone. Bye for now.
You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.